Psalm 1. <clears throat> Hopefully everybody's there. Psalm 1. I'll read it a couple times if you're not. Here we go. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And in, or excuse me, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me read that last part one more time. For the, you listen to the wording. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. Can I just read it one more time? Thanks, Emily. You got my back. Happy are those who do not, just receive this, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his delight, or excuse me, on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Um, the Hebrew word for law, as in the law of the Lord, is Torah. Okay, Very familiar because that's the title of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, Torah means teaching. It means instruction. Um, I like this for this passage here. It, mean, it could also mean direction. Direction. Um, I don't personally love the translation law, not because it's not correct, but because we have certain ideas around the idea of law. So when I read, for example, their delight is in the law of the Lord, typically, subconsciously even, your mind goes to what you need to do, thus says the Lord. And that's not at all what this is talking about. David, so Psalm 1 is sort of a uh, synopsis of the entire what's called the Psalter, so the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 is mostly, for most scholars, considered the, the uh, you can read Psalm 1 and you get a general picture of the entire book of Psalms, okay? And so as this is introing it, there is a focus on two ways, okay? So, so to clear some of the, the confusion up or maybe even some of the misinterpretation, 
um, this Psalm 1 is not talking about the righteous and the wicked. It's talking about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Okay? And you're going to see why that's really important. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. There's two ways. Let me grab this whiteboard real quick. And this reminds me of my favorite poem, Robert Frost, Two Roads. So, diverged in a wood. Okay, so this is what David's talking about. Or the writer of this, probably David. Okay. This is the way the righteous, did I spell that right? Yeah. And uh, this is the way the wicked take. And Psalm 1 is describing what this looks like. Two roads diverged in a wood. Let me, um, let me, let me mention one more thing. Uh, meditates, so on his law they meditate day and night. That word in the, in the Hebrew is dogal, and it means to meditate, to imagine, to muse, to speak, to utter. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways this could be translated, but it implies pondering intently or even imagining. So it's that thing when you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep because that, that whatever it is is running through your head. You can't stop thinking about it. That's what this is talking about. You're, you're, in that moment, you're pondering, even if it's a bad thing, you're pondering those thoughts. They're, they're, you're meditating on it. So he's describing those who meditate on the way of the Lord in contrast with the wicked who by implication, do not meditate on the way of the Lord. Now, here's why this is important. Um, let, let, me, let me give you my translation of verse 2, just so it'll help you a little bit. Um, it says this, Their pleasure is in the way of the Lord, and it is His way that they constantly meditate on. Okay? So you see how pleasure is in the way of the Lord sounds totally different than their delight is in the law of the Lord. Okay, so... Where you are planted absolutely matters. Where we are planted matters. Where is absolutely a kingdom location, a physical location. But make no mistake about it. Beyond that, it is also a state or a way within. Where you're planted matters. You can be an amazing tree with all the gifts in the world, doing all the right things, with all the right tools, yet if you are planted in the wrong place, you'll inevitably dry up and die. Let me read, surprise, surprise, John Calvin's commentary on this. You ready for this? It's amazing. I read this this week. I got a hold of this in the Eugene Peterson Center, so that was an added bonus um, from his library. So check this out. This is what he says. He says, The psalmist here illustrates and at the same time confirms by metaphor in what respect those who fear God are to be accounted happy, namely, not because they enjoy a soon-passing empty gladness, but because they are in a desirable condition. There is, in the words, an implied contrast between the vigor of a tree planted in a situation well-watered 
and the decayed appearance of one, which, although it may flourish beautifully for a time, soon withers on account of the barrenness of the soil in which it is placed. With respect to the ungodly, they are sometimes like cedars of Lebanon. They have such an overflowing abundance of wealth and honors that nothing seems wanting to their present happiness. But however high they may be raised, and however far and wide they may spread their branches, having no root in the ground, nor even a sufficiency of moisture from which they may derive nourishment, their whole beauty by and by disappears and withers away. It is therefore the blessing of God alone which preserves any in a prosperous condition. The blessing of God alone. Those who explain the figure of the faithful bringing forth their fruit in its season, like we just read, as meaning that they wisely concern when a thing ought to be done so as to be done well, in my opinion, he says, shows more acuteness than judgment by putting a meaning upon the words of the prophet, which he never intended. He obviously meant nothing more than that the children of God constantly flourish and are always watered with the secret influences of divine grace. Can I read this one more time? Do you hear this? Okay, listen to this. Uh, he obviously meant nothing more than that the children of God constantly flourish, listen to this right here, and are always watered with the secret influences of divine grace so that whatever may befall them is conducive to their wholeness or salvation. While on the other hand, the ungodly are carried away by the sudden tempest or consumed by the scorching heat, trees. And when he says he brings forth fruit in his season, he expresses the full maturity of the fruit produced. Whereas, although the ungodly may present the appearance of mature fruitfulness, they produce nothing that comes from perfection. I would, that's a lot. I would read it again if it wasn't so much. That is awesome. So what he's saying is, David, or the writer of this psalm, I'm assuming David, um, the writer of this psalm is using a metaphor of trees to describe two ways. One way is planted by streams of water, living water. And they bear fruit in their season, do you know what that means? Some translations say they bear fruit in every season. That's not a bad translation, but the, the, the depth of this, what it's saying is, you will bear the fruit that you are designed to, be, to bear when you are designed to bear it. That's what this is saying, okay? You yield your fruit in the right season. So yes, you'll yield fruit in every season, but there's a depth to it of, you're not just going to bear random fruit in random seasons. You're going to precisely bear the exact fruit that you're designed to bear in the time that you're designed to bear it. And their leaves do not wither. What happens to your trees in the winter? They die. A sign of them dying is their leaves wither up and fall. 
So if your leaves do not wither, the implication is you do not experience death. And in all that they do, they prosper. And like I said earlier, prosper here is not just money, okay? Prosper is everything that you set out to do will be done in its fullness. But the wicked are not so, he says. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. They will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteous, and their way will perish, will die. And the difference between the righteous way and the wicked way is this is the way of the Lord. And this is the way that you choose. This is the way of the Lord. This is the way of your own choosing. As we are in this move of the Spirit, deeply rooting us in wholeness, which is the essence of salvation. Remember when I've explained this? If I, a better definition of salvation is wholeness, a better translation. And as the Spirit is pouring out in a really unique way across the country, this is an amazing time to talk about where your tree is planted. Many of us have lived broken primarily because of where we've been planted throughout, of our, throughout our lives. Many of us have lived broken because we've lived and been rooted in spaces that were not conducive to us bearing fruit in their season. This could be religious traditions. This could be toxic relationships like abuse, etc. growing up. Or it could simply be a context that God wasn't ever mentioned growing up. But over time, what was born whole, which is you and me, what was born whole and pure dries out and dies. Why? Because of the lack of living water flowing through the place that we have been planted. We try to manufacture living water through things like momentum, statistical success, perfection, in places we grew up, fear and avoidance. But we never come alive because that requires a legitimate drink of legitimate living water. And then God shows up like he has at Asbury University in Kentucky, for example, to a group of college students at a prayer service with no fog, no lights, no famous worship leaders, and he pours out a measure of love that causes living water to flow into thirsty trees. Let me give you a little example of this. Um, I will definitely get hate for this, but it's what we're here for. <clears throat> let, me, let me just, can I just read this for you guys? This is a um, famous preacher, superstar, celebrity preacher, that went to Asbury and posted a picture. This is what he said. I want you to see this. And I quote, six days straight. Ready? The Overflow Chapel just filled, and they opened a third venue at Asbury University and are beginning to project onto the lawn. They are at fire code. 
So let me get this straight. You ready? Let me get this straight. God begins to pour out. And here's what we have to say about it. There are thousands of people here. And I, I bless you with this. Who cares? Because I sure don't. Where were, the, where were the celebrity pastors when there were eight people gathered in a chapel service praying just to give thanks to God? They weren't there. They were at home trying to manufacture more revival. And when people started showing up, guess what they did? They started showing up with their iPhone 14 Pros with the camera on blast recording the whole thing. For anybody that might be watching this, if that's you, you need to repent. Who might be listening to this later. If that is you, repent. That, that, you, that ticked me off beyond belief. It still does. I don't know if you've, I'm, I'm withholding. That the Spirit of God will pour out and our response is to do this. I saw another celebrity pastor. Well, Josh, you're putting people on blast. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody has to. All right. I saw another celebrity pastor sitting in Asbury, drove up there to be a part of it, and his secretary's taking pictures of him praying. And he posted on Instagram, posted it on Instagram. Outpouring of the Spirit. Why am I saying this? We, we have bought into the lie that a move of God looks like statistics and fame and fortune and big and momentum. That is not a move of God. Beyonce can do that better than any other church on planet earth. It ain't a move of God. I could do that right now. This week, I could fill this room. I could. All we got to do is go down the street to ACS and rent every piece of gear that they have, bring in Brandon Lake and Maverick City. I promise you, we'll fill the room. Easy. Easy. You didn't tell you what's not easy? Is laying down your life to find it. And that's what's happening in Kentucky. And half the people that are the celebrities are completely missing it because they're looking at the numbers the college students that are laying in the floor are there for one thing, presence, and that's it. And that's why the Lord is pouring out, and we try to manufacture it and turn it into something that it is not. And we wonder why we don't have revival. We wonder why we're not ready for revival. That's why. And so every 500 years, there, historically, every 500 years, there is a dying and a resurrection in the church every 500 years. So about a 1,000, there was the east-west church split. God forgive us for that, okay? 1,500 was Martin Luther. 500 years ago, when the church had gotten into this thing where you can buy your salvation, we're kind of there now. I mean, to be honest with you, we're kind of in that same spot, right? We don't call it that, but let's just call it what it is. So we're in this place. The church was in this place where they were like, you can pay for this, and you can purchase this, and you can have influence over this. And Martin Luther, reading through the book of Romans, says there is another way, and it's called faith and grace. And he takes 99 theses, and he nails them to the door in Wittenberg and goes home, and no one cares. No one thinks it's significant. He's outcast. No one believes that what this random guy nails to a Catholic church door means anything except 
500 years later, we are in a room celebrating a gospel that is only prepared for us through one man nailing the 99 Theses to the door. He didn't have all of his theology right. I don't think it matters. I think he had a heart that was planted by streams of living water. We'll figure out the theology later. We're doing it now. We're taking that theology and we're sifting through it and we're mining it and we're warping it and we're changing it how it needs to be morphed. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about right theology. It was about a heart that says, I'm willing to be hated by everyone to experience what I know I'm feeling in my bones. And that was 500. Let me, let me help you out. October 31st, 2017 was the exact to the day 500 year anniversary of him nailing those 99 theses. The first service of our church was five days later. The same week. And you can say that's coincidence. Or you can say the Lord has written a story that we are crucial to. And it's not because the room is full of big numbers. It's because the room is full with big expectation. So 500 years, here we are. And everybody's talking about through COVID, through everything else, that the church is dying. No, no, no. The church is not dying, okay? The church is resurrecting. And guess what has to go in resurrection? Anything that held you in death. So what's dying is not the church. What's dying is the thing that kept the church in death. But what's being raised is a group of people who are hungry for one thing. You know what the vice president of Asbury University said? He said that almost every famous worship leader has contacted them to see if they could come lead worship at one of the services. And do you know what they've told every one of them? Absolutely not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not here to put people on blast. I'm just here to reveal to you that like, this isn't a game. This, is, this isn't something that you just show up to. Let me help. This isn't something that you just throw some money at here and there. <laughs> Salah, right? This is something that you lay down your life for. And if you're not ready to lay down your life, that's totally fine. But, but just so we're clear, moving forward, we're going to experience a measure of the presence of God like we've been praying for for five years, and that will prove the faith within us. It will test the faith within us. This path is defined by the Lord determining your steps. This path is determined or is defined, excuse me, by you determining your steps. This is the way of the Lord. This is the way of me. And David says, or the writer of this psalm says, that if you choose your own way, you're like the chaff that, is, that the wind drives away, that you will not stand in judgment. What is judgment? Judgment is aimed at anything that stands between you and the Father. That's what judgment is. Judgment is not God saying, you did wrong, lightning bolt. That's not judgment. That's not even real. That's, that's a movie or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's not judgment. Judgment is when you choose your own way. Judgment is God saying no. Which is why the wicked will not stand in judgment. Why? Because there is a no 
coming about right here on their path that will be so severe they won't be able to stand the path anymore. And when they can't stand this path, guess where they're going to find themselves? Home. And, and that's the gospel. See, we said the gospel was this. This psalm was not about the roads. It was about the people. There's the righteous people. There's the wicked people. God's going to reject the wicked people. He's going to accept the righteous people. And that is absolutely not what this psalm is talking about, and neither is any of the Bible. Huh? The Bible talks about a God who found us while we were still sinners, died for us, said no to our wondering, and brought us home. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become what? Righteous. Why? What did we do? Sin. What did we do to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Sin. Oops. Huh? But when you find this way, suddenly it's not about whether or not you're doing all the right things. It's about the way that you are following. And as you begin to follow the way of the Lord, suddenly you'll find yourself without a craving for the wrong things. Mm. All right. It's been 500 years since the Reformation of Martin Luther and others, and we are watching many of the church, parts of the church dying at a rapid rate. Yet other parts of the church, led by hungry young people, are being renewed, revived, and resurrected. And I believe this is the reason the Lord has given us so many young adults. I have lamented for years that we have so many young adults. Because guess what young adults don't have? Commitment. Just being real with y'all, you know what I'm saying? Or money. Commitment, you know what I'm saying? And what are the two things that you have to have for a church? Commitment, you know? And so for years, I've been playing for, praying for gray hairs. And I'm still praying for that. But I'm starting to realize maybe the Lord has given us such a, um, a unique demographic because what led you here was a hunger that a lot of people in another demographic just don't have anymore. You are hungry for revival, and God will pour it out, listen, if you are planted in the right place. That place is proximity to where living water is flowing. Why didn't the initial outpouring of the Spirit, this is why I asked her to lead this up here. Why didn't the initial outpouring of the Spirit happen in the bigger churches, in the bigger synagogues? Why didn't it happen in the synagogue when everybody was there? It happened in a small group of people praying in this case in Asbury, after a chapel service or after the ascension or after the um, death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. They're in an upper room and a small group of people are just praying. Why? Proximity to living water. Just like Calvin quotes when he says, with respect to the ungodly, they are sometimes like cedars of Lebanon. They have such an overflowing abundance of wealth and honor that nothing seems to be wanting to their present happiness. Everything seems like they're on the right path, right? But however, how they are raised or however far and wide they may spread their branches, having no root in the ground or even sufficiency of moisture from which they may derive nourishment, their whole of their beauty by and by disappears and withers away. So my question to everybody is this, where are you planted? Where are you planted? In Psalm 1, David contrasts the wicked 
with those who are constantly attentive to the way of the Lord. David is putting the way of the wicked against the way of the Lord. Jesus later in John 14, 6 tells us that he, God, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. The way of the wicked is the way that follows self. It's the way that is led. This is huge, so I want you to pay attention to this next part. I'm almost done. I really am. The way of the wicked is the way that follows self. It's the way that is led by carefully analyzed strategies and goals. It is the way that is formed from wants and desires. It is the way that lends itself to comfort, never asking of you what you do not want to give. It is the way that doesn't require you to, for example, tithe the whole tithe, repent of wrong thinking or ways, show up to church even consistently, and certainly doesn't require you to lay down your life to follow. And according to David, this is the way that leaves you like the chaff, that the wind drives away, dries up, dead, and is perishing. But the way of the Lord follows the Lord. It is the way led by one desire, proximity to living water. It is the way formed from the longing of your innermost being. It is the way that requires you to get uncomfortable and will ask you to give up anything standing between you and the Lord. To be planted here requires you to give up your money's lordship over you through the tithing of the whole tithe to repent of every wrong or off way of thinking, to be integrated into the life of the church family and is only accessed only by laying down your life to follow. And according to the author, to the writer of this psalm, that is the way that yields its fruit in its season. That is the way that leads you to never wither, even in the harsh winter, and it is prosperous in everything that you do. It is the way of the righteous. It's the way of the righteous. Now, Jesus picks this up later in John 15, and I want to read what Jesus says about this. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed. Hold up. Huh? Just to help. This is before the cross. Just figured I'd say that. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. One more time. One more time. Just as the branch, listen, it cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Sound familiar? Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
Here's the translation. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Don't get a lullaby effect and certainly don't take a Western mindset into this. What Jesus is not saying here is that everybody who chooses another way will be cut off from the love of God. Now, how can you say that? Because Jesus says himself, <clears throat> you have already been cleansed. Okay, interesting. If you've already been cleansed, right, then what does it mean for you to choose another path? Huh? So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is bringing the idea of Psalm 1 ahead into the new covenant, which talks about being connected to the vine. And as you're connected to the vine, what begins to flow through you as a branch? Nourishment. Maybe we'll say this, living water. And as you begin to abide in this, suddenly you live in such a righteous place that he says, you ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why? Because my father is glorified by it. It's the way of the righteous. We abide in him. We abide in his love. And even when he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What commandments? A new commandment I give to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. So if you abide in my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What am I saying? We are on the cusp of the Lord doing something really, really significant in the earth. And that's going to look two things. It's going to look like two things. You ready? Number one, it's going to look like a lot of things that we have put on a pedestal. And I say we because we've done it in this room as well. A lot of things and people and groups and churches that we've placed on a pedestal and worshipped being brought down. Number one. And then number two the purity of those who have made the decision to remain hidden as long as it takes are going to begin to be the voices of the kingdom coming in the earth as it is in heaven. You mark my word, you're about to see this. You're going to see it. We have to see it. The kingdom cannot spread through the earth unless we see it. Because if God poured out his spirit on all flesh right now in America, 
we would, faster than you could say game plan, would come up with a way to market it and strategize it and implement it to catch the momentum so that we could bring as many people into the room as possible, get as many people to repeat a prayer as possible, and then in 10 years be as lost as they've ever been. I mean, like, I don't want to dishonor our past. I don't want to dishonor where we've been. But a lot of people that grew up in church are no longer in church today. Why? I believe it's because they were never introduced to living water. Because let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what I walk through the rest of my life. Because of the taste that I have had over the past seven, eight years of my life, I would never at any point in my life, no matter what tragedy struck me, would never settle for another way because of the goodness that I've experienced. And goodness has not looked like me being rich. Goodness has actually, for me, looked like us losing everything just about. Goodness for us means watching our savings account go all the way down to zero because we didn't have enough. I, don't, I mean, I don't say that to make you feel bad. I say that to say, I'm not talking about you being rich and having everything that you've ever wanted and being, you know, all the dreams that you've ever put in place come and pass. I believe they will. What I'm talking about is a taste of the measure of presence that will cause you to, just like last two weeks ago, to look at everything around you and see the beauty in it even if it means things dying. You're planted by streams of living water. If you are not planted by streams of living water, you'll begin to choose another way. This other, you know what this other way looks like? It looks like you being lorded over by anything but the Lord. It means people in your life having more of a say over your life than, than God does. It means Bank of America having more of a say over your money than God does. Or maybe a more accurate would be MasterCard. It's a lot. All right, right? You know what I'm saying? That's what it looks like. It looks like your job having more of a say of where you live than the Lord. I, I know I'm talking to a bunch of young people, okay? And I don't say this as somebody who's never experienced this. You, I promise you, no one in this room knows the half of what we have laid down in order to be here. And I don't say that to make myself sound big. I say that to say, I've gone ahead of you and everything that I'm telling you today is because of what I have experienced because of my yes and because of my no in order to say yes. And what the way of the Lord requires is you to let go of everything in your life that is a lowercase g God and instead submit solely to the way of the Lord. Your way looks like social media having more of a say over your time than the Lord does. Our way looks like the news having more of a say over our mindset than the Lord does. Our way looks like when things happen to us in our life, we get ticked off. Now I'm speaking to myself. When things happen, we get ticked off. Instead of seeing that every single step of our lives were ordained before we were born, this is not a surprise to God. But, but all of this can only take place if we will live our lives meditating on the way of the Lord. 
When you lay, lay in bed at night, what, what the writer of Psalm 1 is saying is, is when you're meditating on your life, you're meditating on how successfully, and I use that very, very, with a lot of holdback, but with how much you have said yes to the word of the Lord. This is what he's saying. You meditate on Torah. You meditate on the teaching and the instruction and the way of the Lord. So when I lay in bed at night, I'm not thinking about what we can do to get momentum or success. When I lay in bed at night, here's what I think about. How are we as a church remaining faithful to the place where we are planted? I mean, you wouldn't believe this week talking to other church leaders and asking, you know, like, how big is your church? Because a lot of them knew me from where, I, from where I was before. How big is your church? Small, not big. How do you do it? Presence. <laughs> what do you do? Presence. What do you teach? Presence. It's like a foreign concept. You know what I'm saying? What strategies do you implement? Don't have strategies. What goals do you, what goals do you have? Presence. <laughs> you know? I, t- I told the billionaire, like, why do you tithe? I don't tithe to get a return. To be honest with you, I haven't gotten that much of a return from it. So far, I don't care. I tithe for presence. That's it. When we look at our tithe, we don't say, all right, what's 10%? 10%. No. We say, how much can we give without going hungry? I mean, seriously. And why do we do it? <laughs> presence. That's everything. And I believe, and maybe I'm wrong. Like, we're going to be a case study. We're going to be the guinea pig. And if I'm wrong, I'll be wrong, okay? But I believe that if we could just lift the Lord high enough in our family that he will begin in its right season to draw all men and women unto himself. I believe that. I believe that we will bear all the fruit we need to bear in the season that we need to bear it. And if we're not bearing it yet, it's not because he hasn't been faithful, it's because it's not time. Thank God we're not bearing it yet then. But if we're not bearing it, but we begin to bear fruit in every season. You know what this path requires? It requires you to extort the vision of God by getting things prematurely. And when you receive things outside of God's timing, you are responsible for carrying those things. And that's why most people can't do it because you're not God. So instead, we can just rest, we can become, and in the right season, we'll bear every amount of fruit that we're designed to bear. And in the meantime, our leaves will never wither. And everything we do prospers. Everything. I can't, listen, I can't tell you how we're still alive as a church financially, except to say, Everything we've done has prospered. I mean, Mr. Martin knows that he's, he's on our elder board. He's in the meetings. He's seen the budget. He's seen the money. He's seen all of it. Right? And, and this is the conversation we have every meeting. I don't know how, <laughs> but the Lord will provide. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and it is the faithfulness of God that has kept us ever prospering. But I want to encourage you today. Isaiah, you can hop up here. 
I want to encourage you today to begin to think about where are you planted? Are you planted near streams of living water? That could be physically, but all of you are here. So um, maybe that's some of you listening to this. But, but even spiritually, like where, where are you planted? And the way that you know where you're planted is by looking at your fruit and your leaves and what your tree looks like. If you begin to look at your tree and see leaves withering up, if you're looking at your tree and you begin to see fruit fall down that's molded, that it seems like it doesn't matter how hard you work, how hard you try, you just can never get ahead. You can never make it. You can never do what you set out to do. Those are all symptoms. And I say this with a lot of caution, but those are all symptoms that some things may not be planted in the place they're designed to be planted. Doesn't mean you're never gonna go through difficult things. I've gone through something really, really extremely difficult over the past six months with my health. And most of it's been mental. But when people start telling you your heart might be bad, I mean, you know what I'm saying? However, nevertheless, in every season, the leaves don't wither up. Doesn't mean it won't rain. It doesn't mean the wind won't come. It doesn't mean the storm won't blow. It just means when the storm blows, your tree will stand tall as the cedars of Lebanon with leaves that are for the healing of the nations. Here's what's crazy. Man, I didn't plan this, but I feel it. You ready for this? Um, the book of Proverbs says this about the Torah, the Torah. It says that the Torah is a tree of life. That the Torah is a tree of life. When you fast forward to the book of Revelation, what do you see planted by the river that flows from the throne of God? Trees of life. That's their leaves are for the healing of the nations. So, it's not just that your tree is healthy. It's you become the very tree that Adam and Eve in their nature rejected, the tree of life. And what does it say? When you take of that fruit, you will live eternally. What does it look like for people in your life when you get planted in the right place to begin to eat from your fruit and taste a measure of the presence of God that actually begins to bring healing to their life as well. But where are you, like, where are you planted? Like, I'm planted, I'm, I'm right here in such a, what I've seen in Asbury has touched me in ways I, I cannot explain. Because I'm looking at this and I'm saying, it is possible for there not to be a superstar and still be an outpour of the Holy Spirit. Because before this, when have we seen it? In our lifetime. And then I'm looking around the room with who I would call superstars, but who nobody out here would call a superstar, especially me. They call me heretic. You know what I'm saying? Or devil. Devil must be a nice guy. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Huh? And do you know why? Because we've rejected 
me being put on a pedestal and all of you coming to church on Sundays to worship me. We don't say that. We come and say, worship God, to receive the word. No, you don't come to receive the word. You come to participate in the word with me. You don't come to this place to receive a message. You come to this place to become the message to the globe. So all I'm doing is providing you the seeds that will begin to grow in you, but you're not coming here to listen to me. I hope not. Lord, do something better with your time. <laughs> huh? I'm not dishonoring me either, but that's not who I, I'm not. A pastor is not the person you come to worship. A pastor is somebody that dares you to believe that you can carry a greater measure than even me. All I'm here for is to be the step stool for you to walk on top of and get to another level. That's it. So as I'm praying through what the Lord is doing in the earth, I see that we've been prepared for this for a long time. I think Tuesday night, I might be totally messing with Matthew's, Matt's plans right now. Matthew, I'm used to calling him when I was a kid, but we don't call him Matthew anymore. Um, I think Tuesday night, we need to have a prayer service. I think we just need to show up and pray. And for those of you that are like, I'm not interested in that, don't come, it's fine. Don't come. You know what I mean? No harm done, no, no that's fine. Um, but when my people call on my name and humble themselves, I will hear them from heaven. I will turn to them and I will heal their, heal their land. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in the water. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to jump in the water. You better believe the Lord, the Spirit's going to be poured out on place and we're going to miss out. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're jumping in the water. So Tuesday night we'll have a prayer night. But, but before we do that, I just want to pray. I haven't forgotten about giving. So whoever was thinking about that, thank you. Um, I just want to pray though. I think there needs to be a radical decision um, in all of us to let the Lord see this through to the end. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that right now, as we're in this moment, as we're in this 500 year turn, Let me just prophesy this. So let me just let me just let me just be real for a minute. In 500 years, in seminaries all across the world, people are going to be studying and writing papers about what we are about to encounter. In 500 years, our great 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 grandkids are gonna be preaching in churches that are radically, radically redeemed by the love of God because of what we are about to encounter. Thank God Martin Luther didn't look at a page of 99 theses, look at it and say, no one's gonna care about this and throw it in the trash. I thank you that he made the decision that even though no one probably cared at the time, it was the faithfulness of one being planted by streams of living water that produced a movement of faith and grace and hope and justification and atonement and reconciliation across the globe. I feel it. I, I, I feel history being made right now. I feel history being rewritten right now. And the question that I would ask you is, what role do you want to play in it? What role do you want to play in the cosmos 
being radically redeemed in the love of God. Let me, you can open your eyes. Let me, let me share a testimony with you real quick too because um, I think this is really important. So uh, y'all know about, I just mentioned it earlier. I kind of set myself up, but um, the heart stuff that I had, had, I had going on back before I went to Michigan, um, the guys know this because I was wearing it during the, uh, when we went to Zesto's. But um, I wore a, uh, I, d- I did a 24-hour um, basically EKG. You know, so I had all the strings hanging off of me for 24 hours, and um, the whole purpose of it was, uh, if your heart's doing something weird, we'll catch it. You know, so we're just going to monitor it for 24 hours. If there's something wrong, we'll catch it. You know, so I wore it for 24 hours, took it back, and um, so Wednesday night at about 10 o'clock, um, my phone goes off. And it's the little, you know, my chart and uh, that has the results in it. And uh, I opened it up and uh, it was completely normal, completely normal. In fact, he said there was not one moment of atrial fibrillation, which is just a weird heartbeat. Okay. And so, uh, so thank God for that. My heart's great. Um, my blood pressure's down. But when that happened, I, ho- I heard the Lord say this, and I just want to encourage you with this. There was never anything wrong with your heart. But for six months, you believed there was. For six months, you believed that there was something wrong with you, and there never was anything wrong with you, with your heart. And I just want to encourage you, we're moving away from this delusional living that believes he's anything but good. And we're moving into a path that says we can ask anything and it is his glory to say yes. So I thank y'all for praying over me, but I just, I think this is a very prophetic, everything that's going on. I I hate using that word so much because people have jacked that word up, but it's time to redeem it. But there's a lot of prophetic stuff that is swirling around what's happening in not just us across the world. And we just need to let ourselves out and catch the wind. So Tuesday night, we'll be back here. Go ahead and prepare to give. And, um, and we're going to do that as we wrap it up. And uh, man, thanks, Isaiah. That felt good. A little minor note in there. Praise God. Um, so y'all go ahead and prepare to give. Y'all know all the ways. You can give online, in person, all this other stuff. Um, it's funny. Somebody asked me, was it two weeks ago? Three weeks ago. Um, if they should tithe off of their, uh, what was it? their bonus? I get that every year. Should I tithe off my bonus? And I said, I don't know. Do you want to be blessed off your bonus? <laughs> So deep, you know, I don't know. And then somebody, I get this, especially every year, should I tithe off of my tax return? And once again, do you want to, I don't know, do you want to be blessed off your tax return? Um, we tithe before we even get our tax refund. So I'm praying it comes in because we've already given it away. You know what I mean? I mean, literally, we gave it away. 
I've, I did my taxes. I saw what I was getting back. And then I, you know, just, just gave a lot of it away. And now I'm like, please, Lord, let, you know, let it come in. Um, gotta, I got to cover, <laughs> got to cover the payment. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? I say that kind of joking, but like, um, I just, I just want to dare you to start thinking different um, when it comes to money.